You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. Has anyone ever watched the movie The Ghost and Mr. Chicken? I know my family has. Well, there's, this, there's a scene where the main character, Don Otz's character, his name is Luther Heggs. He has to give a speech. And he has this little piece of paper, and he starts by, by doing this, and he puts it down, and the wind blows it away, and his eyes just go, whoop, really wide. Well, I thought we're doing this inside, because if that happened to me right now, I'd, just, I'd be like, okay. <laughs> Anyways, uh, if you wouldn't mind uh, turning your Bibles to Romans 1. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and then uh, moving to verses 16 and 17. Paul, bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God, with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. And then verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. This sermon is entitled, How to Share the Gospel Biblically. This topic has come to me growing up in various churches and hearing different gospel presentations. These presentations had good intentions, and God can definitely use uh, the different seeds sown in spite of them being incomplete. They all lacked a key piece to the gospel message, which is repentance. Here are a few presentations I'm sure we're all familiar with. Ask or accept Jesus into your heart. Jesus is knocking at the door waiting. Just say these words after me, and then repeat the sinner's prayer. You need to believe in Jesus. Let me tell you my story, my testimony. Why is it important to get the gospel right? Please turn to Galatians 1, starting at verse 6. Galatians 1, verse 6 through 10. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what, I have, than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I now or do I seek to please men? For if I pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. To paraphrase here, Paul is saying, if an angel 
were to come into this church and present a different gospel. Paul is saying that we should throw that angel out. A curse can also mean anathema. It's one of the most harshest Greek words. Think excommunication or vehement dislike. So it's important to get the gospel right. Those short lists, I'm going to expand on the short list of gospel presentations I've stated earlier. But what is missing in all these presentations? A full biblical presentation of the gospel needs to mention repentance. John the Baptist, not the Presbyterian, started his ministry by declaring that the kingdom of heaven was at hand and that Jesus was to increase as John the Baptist was to decrease. With the water baptism of Jesus, Jesus also begins his earthly ministry with these words in Mark chapter 1. Quote, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Also Matthew 4. From that time Jesus began to preach saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So uh, what are some of the problems of these modern modern gospel presentations. The first one was ask Jesus into your heart or accept Jesus into your heart. You aren't repenting or turning from your sin. You may not even realize that you are a sinner. You may be trying this Jesus thing out like a new outfit to see what happens. Another one, John, uh, he is knocking at the door waiting. That is taken out of uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where we get this image of Jesus knocking at the door of every sinner's heart, hoping to come in. This passage has been misinterpreted, and if it applies to every unrepentant sinner, it contradicts Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 9, which I'll quote later in the sermon. The door in Revelation 3 is referring to the church of Laodicea in their lukewarmness and does not refer to the unsaved. Just say these words after me, and then repeat the sinner's prayer. There is nowhere in Scripture where a specific prayer or incantation saves a person. The prayer is a tool that has been used to make sure that the unsaved individual verbally responds and says that he believes that Christ has saved him. But, um, but knowing the fact that Jesus exists is different from believing that Jesus will save you from your sin. Repentance requires more than mere words. It requires actions. You need to believe in Jesus. James 2.19, so, sorry, you need to believe in Jesus is the next uh, the next uh, gospel presentation. James 2.19 states that the demons believe in Jesus and they tremble. You need to do more than merely believe that Jesus exists. But you need to believe that he will save you from your sins. And also there is a lack of the mention of repentance in this as well. And then finally, uh, let me tell you my story slash testimony. Your testimony is extremely useful, but it isn't the gospel. It needs to be used in in parallel with the gospel. You can't just say, ah, I had this huge drug problem. Now I don't. Jesus. Okay. That's great. That's not, I mean, but just because this person's changed doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to get you into heaven because you heard that. You need it. It needs to come alongside with the actual gospel. So I don't mean to knock on the testimony story side of it because that's definitely used. You definitely, you see it used in the Bible as well, but the gospel is a message of the incarnation of God. The gospel includes the affirmation that Jesus is the Christ. You cannot have the gospel if you eliminate the lordship of Jesus. <clears throat> what is commonly missing from modern day, uh, from these modern day gospel presentations is sin. Too often we want people to think we are witnessing 
with, uh, with them to be receptive of our message, so to diminish what sin is, if we present the concept of sin to the unbeliever at all. Consider this illustration uh, from Ray Comfort. You are seated on a plane. When you suddenly hear, this is your captain speaking, I have an announcement to make. As this plane is about to crash, you're going to have to jump. We would therefore appreciate it if you put your parachutes on. You take one look out the window and you see the 25,000 foot drop and immediately put the parachute on. You glance at the man next to you and to your horror, he is still watching the in-flight movie. Gone with the wind. No, no, never mind. <laughs> you know what you would say, didn't you hear the captain? He said, put the parachute on. He casually replies, I don't think the captain really means it. <clears throat> I'm quite happy as I am, thanks. Then with zeal, but without knowledge, you say, please put on the parachute. It'll be better than the movie. That doesn't make any sense. You give him a wrong motive for putting the parachute on. Instead, you should tell him about the jump. Show him the 25,000-foot drop, and thus remind him of the law of gravity. He immediately and gratefully puts on the parachute. <clears throat> Think about it. As long as that man knows he's about to have to jump out of the plane and face the consequences of breaking the law of gravity, there is no way you're going to get the parachute off his back. No. The analogy breaks down a little bit, but you get the point. <clears throat> his life depends on it. Can you see that when his motive, his reason for putting it on, is the factor that determines whether or not he keeps the parachute on? As we look around us, we see that the multitudes of passengers are enjoying the flight. They're enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. But modern evangelicalism, had in sincere zeal, but without knowledge, says, Excuse me, did you hear the command from the captain of our salvation? But on the Lord Jesus Christ, he will give you love, joy, peace, fulfillment, and lasting happiness. He will help your alcohol problem. He will help you with your finances. Sadly, this gives a wrong motive for coming to Christ. Instead, we must take courage and tell them about the jump. Explain to them about the law of God like Jesus did. Open the commandments and show them that they must face the fearful consequences of breaking the law of God. And let the law of God convince him that they need the Savior. In the same way, the law of gravity convinced the passenger. You need a parachute. So what are, what's one of the uses of the law? It convicts the soul. Here, um, <laughs> it's a note to myself. Um, Psalm 19.7, I'll just read these. I was going to have everybody turn, but we'll just go for it. Uh, the law of the Lord is perfect, <laughs> converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Romans 9, uh, 3, 19 through 20. Now we know that whatsoever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world will be uh, maybe you could come guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is knowledge of sin. Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. And finally, Galatians three twenty four. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So what does the law do? It convicts us. It stops the mouth. It leaves us helpless in the sight of God. We cannot have any sin or evil in his sight. Secondly, the law is written in our hearts. Romans 2, verses 15 through 16. They show that the work of the law is written in their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. 
Not only does the law condemn, but it's also written in our hearts. Their conscience bearing witness. Con means with, science means knowledge. They sin and the, with the knowledge that it is sin. John Bunyan in his allegory, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, said, quote, The man who does not know the nature of the law cannot know the nature of sin. Martin Luther also said, The first duty of the gospel preacher is to declare God's law and show the nature of sin. In your gospel presentation, start with the law and get the sinner to admit his sin. An easy way to do this is to work through the Ten Commandments. Have you ever lied? Even a small one. Have you ever stolen anything? And of course, if he says no, come on, you just told me you were a liar. I mean, no, it's a joke. Get the person to see the state of their soul by using the law as a mirror. John Wycliffe, the Bible translator, said, quote, The highest service to which a man may attain on earth is to preach the law of God. Why? Because it will drive sinners to faith in the Savior to everlasting life. And Martin Luther, again, the first duty of the gospel preacher is to declare God's law and show the nature of sin. Satan, this is also Martin Luther, Satan, the God of all dissension, stirs up daily new sects. And the last of all, which of all others I had, should have never foreseen or one suspected, he has set up a sect that such as teach that men should not be terrified by the law, but gently exhorted by preaching of the grace of Christ. What's Luther saying here? He's saying, listen, guys, there's a demonic, satanic sect that has just risen up. I never would have believed this could happen. He's raised up a sect such as teach that men should not be terrified by the law, but gently exhorted by the preaching of the grace of Christ, which perfectly sums up most of modern evangelicalism or evangel evangelism. Sorry. So we've talked about We've talked about how repentance is missing, but what does it actually mean to repent? John MacArthur uh, spells it out in the book, The Gospel According to Jesus. Quote, the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. Literally, it means afterthought or change of mind, but biblically, its meaning does not stop there. As metanoia is used in the New Testament, it always speaks of a change of purpose, and specifically a turning from sin. In the sense Jesus used it, repentance calls for a repudiation of the old life and turning to God for salvation. Such a change of purpose is what Paul had in mind when he described the repentance of the Thessalonians in uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.9. Quote, you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Throughout scripture, we see the call to repent from sin and turn to God. <clears throat> so repentance is not merely feeling bad for your sins. It's not merely, oh, I got caught. It means a turning from sin, having a change of purpose. And this is also a means of grace and a gift from God. 2 Corinthians 7.10 For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So you got the sinner. Once the sinner is, is in realization that they need a parachute, at this point, as so we've pointed out their sin, we've shown them that, they are, that there's a day of judgment coming. Then you bring out John 3.16. Tell them the Bible commands them to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus that he will save them. Paul presented the gospel of Acts. Paul presented the gospel, <laughs> that's what I said, in Acts this way. Quote, therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So the reality of the situation for all of us 
We were all born with a sin nature, deserving of God's wrath. And this is Ephesians 2. And honestly, if this passage becomes as popular, if not more so than John 3.16, I'll be really happy. But Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, <clears throat> among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith. And I don't know why, but here we go. (laughs) By grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is the whole message of the gospel. We were dead in our sins, following Satan, by nature children of wrath, but God. For some reason, a reason we cannot make sense of is this mystery of the grace of God, that he would make us alive by sacrificing his son. Grace means it is a free gift. We can do nothing to earn it. Isaiah 64, 6 states that all of our righteous works are as filthy rags. There is nothing we can do out of our own works to present ourselves clean from the stain of sin that would be acceptable to a holy and righteous God. Sproul says, quote, Jesus' righteousness is received by faith and by faith alone. You cannot earn it. You cannot deserve it. You cannot work for it. You can only receive it. And you receive the good news of the gospel by trusting in Christ, by faith, and by faith alone with no mixture of your own works. That is the gospel in its simplicity. <clears throat> so what are some things we can summarize? This is the shortest sermon of the, of the month, I think. Uh, we, we are sinners and, by, and, dead, and are dead in our sins, breaking all ten of the Ten Commandments. God, by his grace, has given us this free gift of salvation, and there's nothing we can do to earn it. We are called to repent and believe that Christ will save us from our sins. Repentance means more than merely feeling bad for our sins, but a changing of our mind, a purposefully turning away from sin. Even this repentance is a gift from God. You may say, well, wait a minute. Now, nobody probably says this, but I've thought about it. So I'm going to say, you might say, wait a minute. Are we supposed to share the gospel with everyone? <laughs> I thought God predestined those people to go to heaven or hell. Why share this gospel if God already knows the outcome? My answer to that is simply this. And this is a quote that I, don't, I could not figure out who said this, so I'm, I'm butchering it. But uh, we are commanded to go into all nations preaching the gospel. God does not tell us who is and who is not saved. There isn't a golden E that magically appears on the forehead of the elect any time before or after their salvation. This information is hidden from all of us and is part of what is called the secretive, the secretive will of God. <clears throat> so we are called to evangelize everyone. Some of our sowing will fall onto hard ground, some into soft, and God is the one who does the saving. All we do is present the gospel and ask God to provide the increase. Now, what about pushback? So I've kind of talked about the overall gospel. Now we're going to go into maybe if you actually are evangelizing, what are some of the things you've been, get, you've been 
You've actually, they're coming back at you like, I don't know about this. So how should we respond to someone who is resistant to the gospel? And thumping them on the head with the Bible is not that good of an option. So uh, if you have gotten the person that realizes that they have broken the Ten Commandments and are in need of a Savior, some of the big reactions generally tend to be, I don't believe in God or the Bible. It's all bogus. Remember, we have two secret weapons in this fight. The Holy Spirit and the conscience, the law written on their hearts. A good response to this is to use two different arguments. I've used both. Excuse me. The first one is, just because you don't believe it doesn't exist doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I can say that semi-trucks don't exist. If I were to walk across the highway, I'd find out in a quick, hot second that I was wrong. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's one response. But another one that, that's probably a little less confrontational um, is, <clears throat> where am I? Um, I know that you don't believe in those things, but if, if heaven does exist, will you make it in? Are you a good person? And then emphasize the word if. It's not nearly as threatening and, and realize that any attempts to argue away from the issue of their sin and God's holiness is merely an attempt to distract from the real issue, which is their need for the Savior. So you could go down and spend all day debating, and apologeticking all day if you want to, but trying to do sort of a sidestep. Like, okay, I see what you're doing here. Let's bring it back to, you know, God exists. Let's go through and get to, are you a sinner in need of a Savior? Sproul also said, quote, the gospel itself is empowered by the Holy Ghost. If there is any cor- corporate sin in the 21st century church in America, it is a sin of trying to find success and power in the life of the church everywhere except where God has placed it. The power of God is never found in a program. <clears throat> it is never found in a liturgy. What we read here in Romans 1.16 is, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel now about Christ, is the power of God. So finally, with all eyes open, all heads raised, and no music playing, the issue with many of these modern evangelical methods is that they tend to downplay the condition of the unregenerate sinner in an attempt to keep the hymn comfortable and agreeable. The result is that we have tons of decisions for Christ, but not a whole lot of church members that are faithfully attending church. D.A. Carson uh, calls attention to this disturbing pattern in his book, a call for spiritual reformation. Quote, to what extent to those who possess faith at world-class evangelical evangelistic meetings actually persevere over a period of five years from their initial profession of faith? When careful studies have been undertaken, the most commonly agreed range is 2 to 4%. That is between 2% and 4% of those who make a profession of faith at such meetings are actually persevering in their faith five years later. As measured by such external criteria as attendance in church, regular Bible reading, or the like. End quote. <clears throat> That's why it's so very important that we get repentance and, and sin correct. I'd also like to note that there are other forms of presenting the gospel that, are, that uh, we don't necessarily promote here. Uh, namely, the psychologically manipulative, emotionally driven altar calls that were an invention of Charles Finney, um, a man who had some incorrect theological ideas that I can't go into whole much to, to a whole lot of depth here, but can definitely talk about later after the service. 
But Sproul says, to that point, Sproul also says, I am not against altar calls. I am not against raising your hand. We make professions of faith for salvation. Anyone can make a profession of faith. We are not justified by our profession of faith. If we are justified, we are justified by our possession of faith. And if we have faith, we are called to profess it. But Jesus warns us time after time that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, was going to come into my kingdom. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And so critical to evangelism is how the objective benefits of the atoning death and resurrected life of Jesus Christ can be appropriated by me personally in my life. And what the New Testament teaches about that is that the good news that I receive, the benefits of Jesus Christ, I receive the full measure of his perfect merit, not by any work that I can ever perform, because by the works of the law shall no man be justified. End quote. So hopefully, uh, hopefully this method, and it is a method, um, will help you as you seek to engage with the, lost, with the lost people who need to hear what the good news for what it is. Not merely a God-shaped hole in their heart that needs filling, but a Savior that will save them from their sin and from God's wrath and into his kingdom. We are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should boast. <clears throat> Let's pray. Dear Lord, we, we thank you for sending your son, God. And when, when Adam and Eve ate the apple, that you made a plan that our Redeemer would come. Lord, I just ask that as we seek to be lights in this world and salt and salt and and lights, Lord, that you just give us courage. It is scary. It is scary to, to tell people that they're sinners, that they need to be saved. It is scary to go through the Ten Commandments and just ask, Lord, that you give us all courage and, and grace, Lord, as we go through this life, that you would ask, uh, that you would just give us just the words to say when we need to say them. And, uh, we'd be instruments for you, Lord, in carrying out your commission. I thank you for this church, for putting it in Wilson, and I ask that you raise up many uh, more men and women to be salt and light for you, Lord, in Wilson. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, let's give Dave a, a thank you for work. Thank you, brother, for, for teaching and for leading us in that, that study, brother. Important words uh, to hear, and I think you, you're right on it. I mean, I think that's repentance is such a neglected part of our contemporary gospel presentations. I, I think I shared this with Dave when he was telling me about what he was preparing, but a couple of years ago, a few of us went to Ukraine to do some missions work over there and uh, among some Ukrainian Baptists. And what always struck me was the way they talked about someone making a decision. You know, uh, Dave went through some of the things that we typically say, ask Jesus into your heart or, or believe in Jesus. But for them, the emphasis was always on repentance, which I always found very just kind of striking as an American because, you know, when they ask someone to become a Christian, they say, will you repent? That's, that's the question they ask, not do you want to believe, but, but will you repent? And they actually make people stand up in front of everybody and repent publicly. Um, 
you know, when they, they come to Christ. So it's interesting to see how I think sometimes our Ukrainian brothers and sisters get that emphasis on repentance right much better than sometimes we do because repentance is kind of offensive to tell somebody you need to repent presupposes, as Dave says, that you're a sinner in need of grace. And, uh, and to tell anybody there's a sinner and they're a sinner nowadays is inherently uh, polarizing to say the least. Right. But yet that's what we're called to do. So thank you, brother, for, for your service to us this, this evening. Well, let me uh, close this out with a final word of prayer and uh, could use everyone's help cleaning up as much as possible. And, um, but thank you for coming out tonight and thank you, brother. Appreciate it, Dave. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for for today. Thank you for his study and preparation. And Lord, just thank you for his ministry to us tonight. And Father, we pray that we would take his heart, uh, challenge to heart, and Lord, that that we would be faithful in doing the work of an evangelist, Lord, and that we would share the the full gospel, the gospel of that requires both repentance and faith. And so, Father, we pray that we would share this gospel with confidence and with joy, uh, Lord, to all people. So, Lord, we thank you for our time together tonight, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all.